Good morning, my name is Stephen. Our scripture passage comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. Dear God, I pray that our hearts and minds would be opened as we read this passage. God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I am now setting up my covenant with you, with your descendants, and with every living being with you, with the birds, with the large animals, and with all the animals of the earth leaving the ark with you. I will set up my covenant with you so that never again will all life be cut off by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the symbol of the covenant that I am drawing up between me and you and every living thing with you on behalf of every future generation. I have placed my bow in the clouds. It will be the symbol of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember the covenant between me and you and every living being among all the creatures. Floodwaters will never again destroy all creatures. The bow will be in the clouds, and upon seeing it, I will remember the enduring covenant between God and every living being of all the earth's creatures. God said to Noah, This is the symbol of the covenant that I have set up between me and all the creatures on earth. Thank you for reading that scripture. And again, our scripture story for this, our scripture passage for this week comes from Genesis 9, verses 8 through 17. And that is the common English Bible version of, uh, uh, version. And uh, we are in the first Sunday of Lent. Welcome to Lent. And Lent is uh, the season of preparation, the 40 days and six Sundays leading up to Easter, where we as a church prepare our hearts and we walk the desert uh, alongside Jesus or in, in solidarity with Jesus and pre preparing our hearts through fasting, through prayer, through service, um, through the giving up of things um, in order to focus in on who God is and God, God's uh, speaking into our lives and in order to focus in on Christ and his sacrifice uh, for us. But not only that, but to open our hearts of vulnerability to receive the good news of the resurrection because we don't just worship death, right? Or, or Jesus' death, but the good news, the power of the gospel and salvation comes not in, the story doesn't end in death, but in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and new life, amen. And so here in this story, um, post the flood that destroyed all of humanity and all of uh, the creatures on the earth uh, besides two of every species and Moses' family, or not Moses, Noah's family, um, this following this flood, uh, God create, uh, makes a new covenant with humanity, makes a new covenant with Noah and his family um, for a new life, a new plan of salvation, a new plan of grace and redemption. And uh, let's pray uh, and we'll get into the scripture. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your promises to us in scripture. And there may be times that we don't understand completely who you are or what you're up to or how you're working and have worked in history. Or we don't completely understand the things that we read in scripture. Um, but we can rest our hats on this, that you love 
you are people, you love creation, and you love us, and that uh, we stand as benefactors of your promises to the people um, in scripture, your covenant with Noah, your covenant with Abraham, your covenant, uh, your new covenant, now through Jesus Christ, we stand as beneficiaries of that um, to new life and a new hope in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so, you know, one of, all of us have quirks, right? We ha all have little crazy people inside us that we only show sometimes, maybe to the closest people, our family members, only at home. And I have a little, you know, obsessive compulsive tendencies. So uh, Janice and I joke about, she jokes with me that, uh, about the phrase, our inside phrase, perfectionist lust, because that's something I say all the time when I'm frustrated, uh, when something, you know, I've run into an obstacle or a situation turns sour or something I'm working on messes up. Um, I say, perfectionist lust. And it's the surge of energy, which is, uh, recognizing the frustration that something that was perfect or I wanted to be perfect is not perfect anymore or it's gone down the drain and the surge of energy just wanting to like destroy everything like a kid who knocks down everyone's blocks because they're not satisfied with what's being built, what they created. Uh, I want to knock down all the blocks because perfection is lost. For example, a hole in my sweater. Maybe nobody sees it. You know, only I notice it, but it bugs me all day, all day, all day, to the point where, oh, I want to cover the hole, and uh, and the hole bothers me, and I'm like, the sweater is not perfect, but perfection is lost, and I have that temptation to just put my finger in the hole and just rip the sweater and take off the sweater and throw it away and burn it and be done with it, because I can't deal with that slight imperfection that's nagging at me, nagging at me, nagging at me, right? And oftentimes we have that tendency because we don't completely live in the full theology, grace theology. We don't have grace for ourselves, grace for other people, grace for our situation. And when we run into obstacles or things take a turn for the worse, or things don't turn out the way that we want it to. We just want to throw a tantrum like that kid, that boy who's knocking down all of his blocks because he's so frustrated and we want to just sit down and just cry and cry. Perfection is lost. Perfection is lost. And we think there should be something that's at least perfect. The world should be perfect. The world should be put together. The world should be all good. Everything should work out. All timing should be perfect. All situations should come to a happy ending. But no, there's sin in the world. There's suffering in the world, right? There's sickness, there's pandemic, there's injustice. Things are not always fair. We run into tragedy. We have natural disasters. Today, today we pray for Texas and other parts of the country that was hit with snowstorms, unforeseen snowstorms, and people were unprepared, right? There's power out uh, for days, no heat, no water for some people. 
suffering and the freezing temperatures. And you know, all week we we read stories and we watched the news and saw people pointing fingers at it. It's their fault, it's their fault, it's their fault. Right? Perfection is lost. What's wrong with this world? We live in a broken world. And yet, as Christians who follow Jesus, who believe in God's salvation story, and believe that God is gracious and merciful. And though we're not perfect, he covers all of our sins. Though our, our sins are like scarlet, the prophet Isaiah says, we will be as white as snow. That is Jesus' sacrifice for us, that he covered us, right? He covers us, present tense, and he will continue to cover us as if we trust in him, lean into him, and believe. Perfection is not lost because God, in his perfection, covers us with grace, amen? And this is the story here in Genesis chapter nine, God's covenant, new covenant with Noah, right? And just to give a little context, we all know the story, right? We all know, those of not maybe all of us that know, but those of us who grew up in the church, went to Sunday school, we all know Noah and Noah's Ark, and we all know the song, the Lord told Noah, there's gonna be a floody, floody, the Lord told Noah, there's gonna be a floody, floody. And it's, it's a very well-known children's story, right? So we all grow up having that. But if you think about it, God destroyed the whole earth, all of humanity, and all the creatures and plants, everything that was very good in Genesis 1 that he created, he now, here later in Genesis, has destroyed with a flood, salvaging only Noah's family and a, a couple of every species of animal in this ark. So how could a perfect God, an all-knowing God, an all-powerful God make such a mistake. That's what we, when we think about these passages, that's what um, causes, a, causes us to hesitate, causes us to question, causes us to be like, why would God judge people like that? Why would God destroy everyone? Like, isn't that harsh? Like, just because people sinned, he destroyed everyone? And then God says the reason why he brings a flood is because, oh, God was sorry that he had created humanity. God was sorry, like he was wrong, he made a mistake. Is God fallible, right? God's not perfect. Is God like us, the OCD God? Things aren't perfect. Things aren't the way I want it to be. So I'm gonna throw a tantrum and crush all of those blocks, knock it all down. I'm gonna rip the sweater apart. Right? I'm gonna take the whole world and wipe it free because it didn't turn out the way I wanted to. Is that the God we serve? A fallible, you know, raging, petty God. But I wanna invite us to focus in on a perfect God who, can, who is perfect in his love and grace. 
And in spite of the choices that humanity makes to turn towards evil, continues through scripture, right? All through the story, the greatest love story ever told, continues to adapt, right? To make a new plan, to re-envision his relationship with humanity, to re-envision creation, to consistently search for ways to salvage creation, to salvage humanity, to salvage his children, to come up with ways that we can be redeemed and restored. And after the flood waters, there is always hope. We tend to focus on destruction, right, and judgment, and how that's not fair. But we don't look at how in the midst of death, imminent death, destruction, right, and judgment, even so, even yet, God desires to plant a seed of hope, plant a new plan to re-envision what humanity can be like moving forward and re-envision a way that we can once again be who he, who he thought we could be, who he envisioned us to be, who he created us to be. Amen. So let's take a, take a look at this covenant with Noah. It's Noah, Noah Hick, Noah Hick. I don't know how to pronounce it, Noah Hick covenant, God's covenant with Noah. And in context, if you remember, um, human, God looks at the earth, looks at humanity, and came to a place where he's like, man, I think the scripture says that there was everything that humans thought was evil. Every thought in, in all of humanity's mind was towards evil things. Right? So, you know, humanity is expanding, the population is growing, but it was in a spiral of darkness. There's utter evil. Every thought that everyone had was pure evil. And the world was going down the toilet bowl. And we have to understand that people make choices. People make choices just like Adam and Eve to sin, to disobey God, right? To turn away from God. And actually, death is simply that, is if we turn away from God enough times, right, we're turning to death. God is life. God is love. And so in turning to sin, we're walking towards death. And ultimately, the world came to a place where systemically, as a whole, communally, corporately, it was spiraling down um, with increasing momentum to utter separation from God and death. People were hostile to one another. People were violent with one another. People were oppressing and stealing and hurting one another. And what God envisioned as a, huma a humanity that lived in communion with one another, lived in harmony and stewarding all of the earth, God said to Adam and Eve, Right in Genesis 1, 28. Go, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then he gave them a mandate to be master 
the creatures of the earth, all the creatures of earth, and all of my creation, right? And maybe a better translation is steward this. Like you, I place you in responsibility over all of my creation, right? So steward it well. And where stewardship or mastering over something, having responsibility over something, takes a turn for the worst is whenever we look to consume rather than steward, right? Stewardship means to make, you know, to use well, to use in order to thrive. God wants humanity to thrive, and in humanity to thrive, God wants all of creation to thrive. The animals, right, and the plants, everything, the mountains, the trees, the oceans, the streams, all the nature cycles, God wants thriving, right? And God is calling people, man, make love, be happy, multiply, fill the earth with goodness, fill the earth with my creation, right? My desire to love you, to create you, to like multiply and create communities, like go and do that all through the earth. And when you read Genesis from the beginning, there's a progression of increasing darkness from the point that Adam and Eve took a bite of the fruit, right? Forbidden by God because of the snake's temptation, the serpent's temptation. From that point on, evil is introduced. And if you read through the Genesis chapters, you see humanity increasingly, increasingly, increasingly choosing evil, choosing evil. You get the story of Cain and Abel, and you get other stories. But in the midst of that, you also see God in his goodness um, and his graciousness, making small changes, right? Adjustments to bring grace, to be gracious, to give great gifts of grace. For example, right? What did God say when he said to Adam and Eve, don't eat from the fruit uh, of this tree, of this one tree. If you do, he says, you will surely die, right? You will surely die. That's God's perfect command, right? You eat this, you die. But when we read on, they eat of the fruit. Do Adam and Eve die? No, right? God does say, oh, there's consequences. You're cast out from the garden. But we got to look at this like they deserve to die in God's, you know, the way that God said in his perfect word. And yet they did not die because God created a way, right? In their sin, there was consequences. The earth was cursed. Man had to labor, right? To bring any fruit out of the earth. Work became harder, right? Childbirth became harder, right? There's enmity between the woman and the snake. And there's the opportunity or the choice for increasing evil, choices of evil for people against one another. We see that in Cain and Abel. But in there, God is gracious. Adam and Eve don't die, right? Adam and Eve, after they eat of the fruit 
uh, forbidden fruit, they're ashamed because they're naked. In the perfect sense, we would not be ashamed. They should not be ashamed of being vulnerable and completely naked before each other and before God. And yet, they, feel, they begin to feel shame. What does God do? God fashions clothing for them. Right? God didn't have to do that. Right? But it's a gift of grace. Are you following me? Cain, God actually, you know, curses Cain, but he also protects Cain and saying anyone who lays a hand against Cain, right, will surely die. He, he protects, uh, giving the mark of Cain. Um, so in the midst of increasing evil and choices to sin in Genesis, there is also equally God continuing to change the plan um, to bring grace into a situation. And so when I think of perfection, I don't think perfection, perfection, right? One way to look at perfection is, oh, I say something and it's always perfect. No, nothing, you know, it's the same for all, all of all time. Another way to look at perfection though, because context is always changing, because obstacles come, different things come, perfectness is actually the ability to adapt to any given situation. So change is, you can look at change as actually a quality of perfection, right? Whereas non-changing is actually stagnancy. So one thing to consider is God is perfect in his grace. God is perfect in his covenant and promise keeping. Are you with me, church? He's able to adapt and change because he perfectly loves humanity. He perf has perfect grace for humanity. And though we choose to break covenant, though we choose to turn away and face death for God knows why, God still says, okay, I'll pay the price, you know, because I want to stay in relationship with you. I want to continue to provide hope. So here in Genesis 9, right, after the flood, God makes a new covenant, makes a covenant with Noah and Noah's family saying, you know, I will never destroy the whole world, all of humanity and all of creation again with this flood. And to symbolize, to seal this covenant, this promise with all of humanity, um, here's this rainbow. And we have to remember in the Hebrew word for rainbow, there was no sense of rain. We understand rainbows to be, you know, light refracting through rain droplets, you know, because there's rain and there's sun. And so from the viewer's perspective, the spectrum, you know, light reflected through raindrops creates the spectrum of white light, which is Roy G. Biv, red, orange, yellow, blue, indigo, violet, right? Rainbow. But in the Hebrew word, it's just bow, right? And uh, the symbol being, you know, like a bow and arrow, bow, right? But if you look, if you imagine a rainbow, the dome part of the rainbow is up top, right? So if it was like a bow, this weapon of war, this weapon 
of destruction, right? Many cultures um, saw the bow as, uh, you know, the weapon for war, for destruction, for judgment, right? It's not pointed at humanity, but is actually pointed up towards God, right? God saying, I'll take the hit. No longer will I be hostile or violent towards humanity and destroy all of humanity, but I will turn the bow towards heaven, away from humanity. And my promise to you, Noah, is that I'll never destroy humanity again. And um, if we read at the top of um, Genesis 9, Genesis 9, uh, 1, uh, 9, 1, it directly quotes, right? God restates what he says to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, 21. Go, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Right? This mandate to thrive, right? To live life to the fullest, to live out loud the way that I created you to be. And also underneath that was again a repeating of Genesis 1 and be stewards of all animals and all creations, be over all of the creation and steward them, master them. Right? But there's one change. And that change is, but animals, the creatures of the earth, will live in fear, right? And dread of humanity, right? So there's still within this new grace, this new covenant, this new covenant with Noah, this promise um, that God is making to restore the relationship and once again, even add a new contingency plan like I'm not going to destroy all of you God is taking everything in arms on himself and then more it's like a contract was broken by humans right the humans owe everything to God and God could be like pay it all with your life right but God is actually saying oh right let's make a new contract and I'll actually pay for what you didn't pay me and like we'll make it we'll wipe that slate clean and we'll do something new Wow, God is taking everything on himself. He's so magnanimous, right? He's paying the price. And we see the parallel with Jesus paying the price for humanity, a price that was ours of our doing. But in his graciousness, he takes even that, he swallows it. I'll jump on the grenade. I'll take the hit. I'll cover you. That's the gospel. That's good news. Amen. And God is saying that, like, not reset the, not hit the reset button, rinse and repeat, but like, let's re-envision this and go forward from here again in this new hope. After the floods, I have new hope for you. Yes, there's consequences, right? The consequences being you know, that enmity with the snake is going to continue the animals. You know, I don't know how, what it looked like in Eden, but maybe like Bambi and Bambi's mom came right up and ate out of the hands, right, of Adam and Eve. But now what God is saying is the animals will fear and dread you, right? So now when we walk up on Bambi, Bambi runs away, right? Bambi doesn't stay. Because there's a little bit of trust that's been broken, you know? There's a little 
brokenness in the world. And what we live in right now is the continuation of that brokenness. Not only people and our broken relationships with one another and the broken systems that we create that hurt other people, that create unjust systems that oppress one group of people and another group of people are privileged, lorded over them, like relationships are broken, human relationships, but also creation is broken, right? Creation is wounded. There's pollution, right? There's green, you know, there's a, a global warming. There's, you know, pollution, global warming, um, and then, and there's natural disasters. You know, the earth is groaning and moaning and people and the earth and creation and animals are at enmity with one another. People exploit the earth and the earth's resources for our own consumption rather than people stewarding as God's original intent is. But even in the midst of this brokenness, what we believe as Christians, what we want to be as a church is participants in God's plan of renewal and restoration. God is renewing all things. God is renewing the earth and creation. God is renewing people and our hearts and our relationships with one another and with God. That's why we're named Renew, because we are about being with God in the midst of him renewing all things. And that's what we are living in the midst of both the brokenness and yet the hope that comes after the waters, amen? And this is what we see in the covenant with Noah, right? Destruction, yes, of, of humanity's own doing, right? We deserve, we des they, we deserve nothing less than death. Right? We were choosing death in the depth of our evilness, and yet God re-envisioned, made another opportunity. The other thing that we notice about this covenant with Noah, it's much like you know, God's command and promises to Adam and Eve, and God once again demonstrating grace uh, when grace was not deserved, when it was death that was deserved. But also, we need to notice that God makes this covenant not just with Noah and his family and humanity, but this covenant is made with all of the earth, with the creatures, and with all of nature, right? So I'm making this rainbow to show that I promise not to destroy you, that I love you, I'm making a covenant with you, not just for humans, but all of the earth. What does that tell you, right? God makes covenants with birds. God makes covenants with the sky. God makes covenants with even the idiosbitty microorganism, the insects, the mammals, the reptiles, the mountains, the trees. God loves his creation as well. Nature, all, all are a part of this covenant and this promise not to destroy. And so if God promises not to destroy his creation, nature, animals, shouldn't people who are commanded to be stewards over God's animals and creatures and creation 
also not desire to destroy, but actually to steward God's creation, to uplift God's creation. Um, and that's a whole nother sermon of itself. Caring for nature, caring for the environment, caring for all of creation. That's our responsibility as Christians. It's not just some social action thing, you know, uh, off the side that's made by the secular world, but actually Christian, the church is called, right, to creation care, to care for and steward God's creation and not continue in the participation of consumer, consumerism and consuming the earth resources without responsibility, haphazardly. Amen. So God's covenant with Noah includes also all of creation. And so the thing that I want us to take away from the Noah covenant here in Genesis 9 is that God is a God of grace and God is perfect in his love and commitment and graciousness to humanity and all of creation. Though perfection was lost, right? There was a hole in the sweater. There's a spot on my white shirt, right? The block building is not the way that I intended it to be. Even in that, right? He's, God is fully in God's power and, and right to destroy everything. But instead, God in his perfect love and grace chooses to re-envision over and over again and in our lives in your life personally god <laughs> right if we are worried about being perfect we fall off fell off the perfect track many times long time ago so perfection is out the door so why are we still striving for it right we were off perfect you know the day we're almost the day we were born the whole point is god is renewing about renewing transforming restoring redeeming you're never in a place in your life and too dark of a place you've never done something too bad too wrong too destructive too imperfect for god to come back and say hey have i got a new plan for your life have i got a new contract for us a contract not that's transactional but of love and grace. That even the, the worst broken parts can redeemed and be made even better. Now that's perfection. So in these times where we may be experiencing the flood and wondering, God, where are you? God, why? God, why are you treating us so? Why have you abandoned us so? As the psalmist consistently writes, why have you forsaken me in the midst of the waters, right? The love story, the gospel story is there's hope and there's new life after the flood. Let's pray, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your covenant making character with your people. And even though we're stupid and foolish, and we turn away and we run towards death and destruction. 
while you're there offering us life, even so you go the extra mile, you chase us down. You're the prodigal father that runs at us to embrace us as we, and saying, welcome home, let's go eat. God, you do that for us. And as we uh, continue in this Lenten season, as we begin this Lenten journey, we look ahead and hope uh, for your people, your church, to rise again. We rise up with you, Jesus Christ, in your name. Amen.